Welcome to the Kettle Call Podcast. Uh, we are starting another uh, research call today, so let me go ahead and call Brooke. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? Doing great, thanks. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great, great. So, Brooke, today we have, uh, again, Zach Carlson here. Hello, Zach. Hey, Pedro. Hey, Brooke. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Great, great. Uh, we, it, thank you very much for being here with, with us again. Uh, we just posted uh, last week our uh Career call with Zach was was very very nice. It was was good to hear about your career, Zach. And you mentioned that you you're in a extension and research role uh, in North Dakota. Uh, for those of you who didn't listen to our past episode, Zach is a, a beef cattle uh, specialist at uh, North Dakota State University, and all of his career is is in our previous episode. Please go go back and listen to that. But today we are going to, to talk about some of the research that he's doing uh, in, in North Dakota. So, Brooke, uh, you have the lead. Okay, so uh, this week we're going to talk to Zach just a little bit about a study that his group has done related to rumen-protected lysine with and without distillers, grains, and finishing diets. Um, this is something we were really interested because in it's similar to some of the research we've done. Um, but Zach, could you tell us about the project and how you came up with the idea to do it? Yeah, so I have to admit, um, I was involved with a rumen-protected lysine project uh, that Nebraska was doing as I was finishing my PhD. So I was helping uh, that student with their project, really got interested in it, left before it was finished, uh, have obviously stayed in touch and, and followed through with some of the work they were doing. And so had that seed already in my head, um, lots, you know, we've, I, I think as a, as a, University-wide research in that area as it relates to beef cattle is is coming back in scope, right? Kind of something that was done in the late 90s, mid, mid-90s into 2000s, um, and, and then kind of, you know, the, the ethanol boom came and whatnot. And so we're kind of coming back into that. And so it was, it was I had already kind of had that thought in my head, like that was, I think, I think there might be something here. I don't really know. Um, and, and certainly an area of interest. And so that kind of got, uh, uh, well, um, accelerated maybe when um, I have a, a good friend of mine who is a, a consultant uh, a, in the in feedlot consultant. And he called and some of his coverage was up in Canada. And so it relates highly to some of the feeding operations we may have here in North Dakota and the upper Midwest in general. And um, they were struggling in 2021 to source distillers at the time. Uh, And so up there, just due to, you know, whatever it might have been with labor shortages and, and inventory and stuff like that, so on. And so for a period of time, they were going to go without distillers. And so they were considering and really have no um, major protein source within that diet. And so they were entertaining bringing in lysine um, to to look at least at very low inclusions of lysine and kind of bring on some of the research that's already been done. And so anyway, that's that then really got me thinking and uh, um, it was time to kind of start doing some work up here. I had applied for a, a, a grant within the state of North Dakota Department of Agriculture um, 
didn't get that grant. And so uh, just kind of decided to to go on my own in a way. With, with, and I say that um, with Dr. Kendall Swanson, lots and lots of guidance from Dr. Kendall Swanson here at NDSU. And, um, and we went ahead and just and got kind of figured out where we were going to do it. So uh, it, it, the research was conducted at the beef cattle research complex here on campus. Um, it's, it is a individual feeding system. Uh, Smart feeders is, as uh, the Incentec uh, uh, brand or uh, of smart feeders. And so we had opportunity to do, had 72 animals that we could do something with in that, in that area. So, um, you know, based on that and some of the availability of space and whatnot kind of limited us to about four treatments. And that's where we came up with basically this um, negative control, which was just a corn silage and dry rolled corn based diet. No, no added protein. Then we added in lysine, rumen protected lysine into that diet as our positive control, if you will, in that sense, um, and then added distillers in replacing uh, dry, a portion of dry rolled corn. So brought that diet to a 20% uh, dry matter basis uh, was our target uh, for distillers and then with and without lysine there. So it's, it's factorial two by two, essentially, uh, but kind of taking that concept that I had uh, talking with uh, that, that uh, feedlot consultant, as well as then kind of where um, some of the more modern work has been, right? And optimizing um, uh, the, uh, finding that amino acid requirements, uh, selecting for that first limiting there being in lysine uh, with byproduct diets, right? Trying to boost performance in that situation or improve. That's, that's really, that's really nice. And, uh, yeah, I, and just just to to clarify here, uh, you had a corn silage dry rolled corn, corn silage dry rolled corn plus lysine, corn silage dry rolled corn DDGs, lysine, corn silage dry rolled corn DDGs, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And and how much lysine were you submitting? Do you remember that on top of her? Yeah, so this is where maybe this project is a bit crazy um, or, or or whatnot. So a lot of the past work has been in that, I don't know, the scope of, I'm going to just take a stab at, you know, one to maybe seven, eight, nine grams of metabolite, metabolizable lysine. And so I plug those diets that you just described in. So we we're at 20% corn silage, you know, um, uh, 5% supplement. And, and then for that negative control, the balance is corn. And then again, 20% distillers uh, with the, with the balance being corn there, dry rolled corn. And so I put those into the NASA model to see what the, the model was telling us uh, our metabolizable lysine balance or, or what the balance was uh, for what was missing in the diet. And so when I did that, those values are really high, right? And there's lots of assumptions within those diets. I modeled the diets, right? I didn't use the ingredients that we actually were feeding, modeled those diets, um, saw what that difference was. And so we, we uh, basically added lysine in to try to meet that balance or, or get that balance to zero, essentially meet that requirement that NASM was, was suggesting based on the, all the assumptions that we had in those animals. So the levels were really high and, and, and probably are going to um, 
make me sound a bit crazy. But again, <laughs> we were just kind of like, we've seen some of the data. What what happens when we go, you know, maybe, maybe a little too far in this case. And I'm looking at this in hindsight, right? Would have been a different conversation probably going into it. Uh, we were at a 50, so for the, the diet without distillers, the lysine inclusion was, um, and we broke it down into phases. So we we basically at reimplant time we readjusted mm-hmm. the model to see uh, what it was suggesting us based on the the weights we had at that time, and we readjusted lysine at that point. So, but for the first, I guess we call it phase one, for the first eighty six days, we fed lysine. Uh, at 15 grams with that and that's metabolizable lysine without distillers grains and the model with distillers was suggested to need 12 and so quite a bit like i said most literature i don't know if it goes much beyond somewhere seven eight nine grams and so we're we're way above that in that sense and then at re-implant time so at that day 86 and these are calf feds uh, so we started the project last fall Mm-hmm. And um, we reevaluated that and it dropped it down to um, still fairly high relative to previous work, uh, six, uh, nine grams, excuse me, for the diet without distillers and for the diet with um, six uh, metab- grams metabolizable. So, so what, go ahead. What was the, the, the protein like basal levels on the, on your, uh, uh, corn silage diet and Ooh, that's a good question are you using like urea to to increase to that uh, or something yes very good question glad you asked that because i'd forgot to mention that we did use urea so the the crude protein in a sense uh values um were would have been you know much higher than a diet without uh uh any obviously urea in it, right? So I do not remember off the top of my head what the protein values were in there, but uh, I know we're just getting our results back from the lab of actually what was, but the model diet, I think came in 11 and a half ish, somewhere right under 12. Uh, and then you add that urea in, and it would have brought it up, um, you know, consider 12 and a half or something like that. I don't quite recall. It was, uh, we fed a fair amount of urea uh, as well, pushing as much thinking anyway we're um trying to get as much of that microbial crew protein but that's nice Brooke. um so i think you mentioned that you're just kind of summarizing the data now you mentioned that it started last year uh but do you have any results that you could talk about yeah yeah so um getting started i just had um some technicians uh and a and a student that took the the project on last fall and helped me start it, but he wasn't my student and he ended up graduating earlier than anticipated. So we, we transitioned all the data onto uh, one of my new students, uh, um, Grady Gullickson. And so he's been taking that data on, but he just started um, in August. Uh, and so, or, or I guess he started this summer, but anyway, he's been, he's been taking in all that. And so as a brand new master student, uh, we, we've been going through all of it, right? And when you don't get to start something yourself, um, it's sometimes very hard to wrap your head around, right? But we do have, um, uh, everything summarized and what we're found out. And, and again, this might not shock some people listening to this, um, but 
because we're at such high levels and I'd say most of the work is done below or at five grams or, or less. And so we're really at some high levels. Yeah. I was, um, I was like, why are we talking about trying to, we, we published a, a research last year, right, Brooke? And I was trying to, to check here. And I think we leveled, we fed at levels at six uh, grams. So like, like you said, like research, it's going up to seven or eight, right? Yeah, and and this study, uh, I try to at least be conscious that in my position, I'm both research and extension, more so extension, um, needs to have ap direct application, right, in a lot of sense to the end user. Um, based on costs, <laughs> the 15 grams would never, I, I shouldn't say never, but would be very, very difficult pencil in uh, on an economic basis. And so this study in and of itself is pure academic question, um, right? And, and, and you know, um, we, we received product from the sponsored company, but we, but that was it. I was using some startup money uh, just to kind of learn how research is done up here, um, you know, at NDSU uh, on the other side of the table, right? Uh, um, being a being a PI now. So, but, uh, so again, thinking, okay, if this is what the model is asking us based on all these assumptions that we've had, then, you know, what's the outcome with that result then? So some preliminary results, um, we essentially in the diet without distillers that had lysine in it, we saw a decrease in dry matter intake. So average dry matter intake for these calf feds was right around 22 uh, pounds dry matter, a little above, a little below. And so we saw about a, a, a pound of dry matter reduction on the overall from start to finish of the study um, for, that, for that treatment group that had lysine in it at that, at that 15 gram level, at least for the first phase. Um, and, and, and so we saw that reduction there. That kind of then leads a lot into performance that we saw. We didn't see changes so much in efficiency overall, um, just simply lower intake, lower gain, and and so lower final body weight in that sense. So, um, but uh, so I mentioned we kind of split it up phase one, phase two. So um, we did two weights halfway through the study at reimplant time and wanted to break down those sections because obviously, as we know, um, at least for the most part, right, protein requirements go down uh, as the animal um, um, gets, you know, on a concentration basis as the animal ages, right, and, and gets further along into the days on feed. Grams of protein don't necessarily go down, right, That, but the concentration within the diet can as intake increases. So um, what we saw was that that intake difference was much more evident within that first phase than it was in the second phase. So it was significant within phase one for that pound reduction uh, for those first 86 days. Um, probably where, uh, uh, oddly enough, interesting, uh, and this is going to sound, or we're, we're diving into this just to make sure um, what we're seeing is, is truly the effect of treatment and not variation we captured in, in another form is in phase two, which there's probably a good argument uh, maybe for why this happened. We saw, we did have a main effect of distillers grains where our 
controls, corn controls, if you call it that, the two diets with corn had improved performance. So regardless of lysine uh, above our distiller's treatment. So um, obviously uh, that that's something that's interesting. And I think will be uh, based on my graduate program, right? The conversation that I'll have with Galen and Jim, I'm sure someday about those differences there uh, and, and whatnot. But but anyway, we did pick that up in the second phase. So that that last half, I should say these cattle were on feed for a fair amount of time. Um, age-wise, they were May calves, so a little smaller uh, to begin with um, uh, on the on the age-wise. So they were on feed for about a hundred and ninety days with a subset uh, second harvest out to two. 220 days i believe or something along those lines so um, well, not, not as long as the hosting so for us <laughs> that's right it's that's okay. right. yeah that's true that's true i i should think about who i'm talking with uh um uh, relatively speaking so so probably what some people want to hear about is the carcass uh differences now i'll mind you four treatments um 72 animals right individual feeding system so you know replication was good in terms of individual animal um we mm. had between um 16 and 18 uh for those that stayed on trial right our target was 18 per treatment but we had some fall off but uh so carcass data i tend to be leery about getting too heavy into it um uh, just from the simple fact it's on 18 uh, carcasses at most, right? And so I think some of this to be true, but we didn't we didn't pick up a difference in hot carcass weight, but that but that for sure that treatment that did not have distillers but had lysine um, had had a numerically lower uh, by by 40 pounds. Um, and, and again, so that goes back to our replication, uh, think that, so we didn't pick that up, but it's certainly there and that's, that's real, uh, in that sense. And so that, that kind of ties back into performance of those animals. Um, uh, yeah, throughout the, throughout the trial, um, what we did pick up and probably is one of the more harder things, at least for me to to dive deeper into at this moment is uh is big differences in back fat thickness. So the the um which I I think if we look at the lysine treatments, uh excuse me, the distillers treatments alone. So diets without distillers, mm -hmm. we saw um a significant increase or 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 decrease, I guess however you're looking at it, the negative control without lysine. And without distillers, so just corn and corn silage-based diets, we saw uh, larger um, back fat there, about uh, almost uh, 0.15, uh, comparing it within uh, no distillers to just with or without lysine, if you're following me there. And so, but I think that difference is probably more an impact of how that um, no distillers plus lysine performed throughout the entire trial, just reduced performance, reduced, you know, overall finish on those animals. So I don't think there's that much. What's interesting um, is when we go to the distillers based diets with and without lysine, we saw um, that same difference of like 0.15 uh, back fat between. Uh, so we saw increased back fat with lysine. 
in the distiller's treatment. So, um, so yeah. Is that, is that kind of an interaction? Like, for sure. Yeah. I think that, yes, for sure. It's interaction because without, with lysine in the, in the, um, corn controls, if we call it that, uh, had lower back fat and with lysine in the distiller's treatment. Yeah. So it was a, a simple effect, uh, interaction there between treatments. Um, and so, you know, that could it be that all that, you know, we maybe are the, I don't know. I don't want to blame the model, right, um, or anything like that. But we we're probably oversupplying lysine. That lysine maybe got broken down as as energy in that sense, or something like that, because uh, we didn't see a performance um, difference between those treatments. But certainly, where those animals were depositing back fat. But yeah, like you said, there, there. I think there's a lot to know on that, especially, and you've recognized that maybe like there's a limitation the sample size or something. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always be cautious of that, at least, especially in in carcass data. You know, for us, I know the genetics of these animals, and they were kind of spread out a bit, and so you got to take that in uh, to consideration. But so. Yeah, that I think that's there's there's definitely things within that, um, but that's kind of the yeah looking the overall scope of this study. One thing that is interesting to me uh, is that so just to be clear, so supplementing this excess lysine, you had a decrease in dry matter intake, uh, which also limited the growth. Like right? it's not that it's it's limiting intake, but the efficiency like gains to the same and improve efficiency. So there was a limitation in intake and mm. which limit the growth of, of those animals, right? Just to, right. That's right. Do you have any hypothesis on that? Like any, like yeah. any, any? Yeah. So I think there's been some of this work, I believe in the, in, in swine that have looked at this in terms of, so the, I think maybe the, instinct is to say, well, maybe it's not palatable, but I still don't know a good way to measure palatability, whether it's a biochemical <laughs> feedback mechanism in the animal, right? Or whether it's, they didn't like it, right? Uh, mm. The taste of it. And and so I try not to perceive what, what they like um, as much as there's, I, I believe, and I hope I'm not misquoting this, but there's some work in swine that have showed um, some receptors that maybe when you're oversupplying lysine, um, you may be, and I can't remember what the other amino acid is, but that, that you're actually the excess uh, lysine in that standpoint, um, might be binding up to, uh, uh, bound to other receptors, uh, changing what, you know, what the model would suggest, be, you know, it's not accounting for that and, and, and everything like that. So then therefore, but whatever, mechanism that might be driving i don't know what kind of if it's a negative feedback on intake then um and and altering those that yeah i not exactly sure that's something that i think um i think that's somewhat there in some of the the work we're seeing is is or when we don't see differences uh all the time with lysine inclusions which has kind of been um some sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not and i wonder you know if are we, are we, um, are we kind of chasing one answer to a multifactorial 
issue in that sense. We're trying to address it by meeting the first limiting, but it it's altering everything completely after that to where now we're not understanding even what we've been doing, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't have a strong one at this point. That was kind of what we'd been seeing leading into this study uh, was there's, there's maybe some receptors in the small intestine, I believe. Um, that's where it's at that, that swine, some swine research is uncovered, but uh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's really nice. Brooke, any, anything else? So just a, a couple more finishing questions here. Um, what specifically were some of the challenges you found while doing this project? Yeah, um, it probably had more so to do with um, being new uh, to North Dakota State University and learning. I, I had had previous experience here as an undergrad, but and working at the facility that we did this project at, the Beef Cattle Research Complex, but um, more so probably logistical things in that situation, uh, stemming from, you know, uh, getting randomizing animals, uh, training them to the system. We had complications there. Uh, and so we started off, you know, targeting 72, but we had 71 animals trained to the system. We didn't start with 72. I think we started with 80 or so, right. But they didn't, there's more than anticipated that didn't train into the system. And so it was kind of slow going. Um, oddly enough, uh, we, that, that system's outdoors and I'm pretty sure you guys know, but it gets pretty cold up here <laughs> and we had, um, some extreme cold weather, this, I'll say unusually cold um, moments within uh, January, February timeframe, where that system is in, um, uh, depends on a pneumatic system. It depends on air pressure to let the animal into the system and let them out and whatever else. And we had um, 20 days where it was cold enough that the animal, uh, we could not measure intakes on those animals. So we had, uh, we actually had to change, uh, adjust. Um, partway through, we had um, randomized animals and treatments across pens. So th there is still pens, even though it's an individual feeding system, of course. Um, and we actually had to change that uh, due to the nature of, we had to anticipate whether we we're going to get more cold weather and have issues with the system or not. And it was a good call on our part now. Um, so we actually went to then each pen was its own treatment, which we'll have to block for that, of course, and 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 consider that, and, and we have. But um, essentially, yeah. So that cold weather issue was really a a, a big um, uh, struggle for this project, and and overcoming that. Now we've addressed that concern. Um, the this summer, uh, this fall, actually, they're they're kind of changing up some of our fittings within that system so that we can hopefully withstand some of those cold temperatures. But yeah, that was a, that was a big issue. Yeah. One, one quick question is like, was the, the lysine top rest was like mixing the TMR. How, how do you supplement it? Uh, great question. Yeah. So for the most part, I believe a lot of these protected products um, get top dressed just due to the, whatever agitation and, and potential disruption there might be within the coatings um, in a TMR. We used um, the product from Ajinomoto Agipro uh, L. And so there, the, the claim there on that product uh, was, could be uh, um, 
you uh, mixed within the TMR. So we mixed it uh, within the total uh, diet. Uh, the caveat being in silage-based diets that I'm, there's probably some, some fer fermentation uh, activity, some microbial activity within that diet, right? Just within a period of time. So they don't guarantee um, any, uh, any protection basically beyond 24 hours within that diet. So that meant for us, we had to scoop um, uh, orts uh, basically every day. And, and, and so uh, in those, uh, in the diets with lysine, taking that or uh, we did it for all treatments, but pulling that out um, each morning uh, so that we didn't leave any residual diet in there. Great, great. Yeah, I think that's, I, I'm not sure if I have it. Do you have any other question, Brooke? Um, just one final question. And what, what is next related to this project for you? Yeah, so bit of a pivot, but it's within the realm. Um, there is uh, an opportunity for producers in North Dakota, beef cattle producers. Uh, uh, we're getting a few soybean crushing plants coming on and, and actually a few, I think we're might be three at this point, which is a tremendous increase in volume of soybeans that'll need to be produced uh, in this area anyway. So both on the East and West side of, of North Dakota. And so that, means hopefully that there's some soybean byproducts, right? If I don't think we can call soybean meal a byproduct anymore, but um, uh, so there's going to be some of that. So along the lines of the lysine and everything like that, we're doing a project this fall and, and hopefully continuing on. And so a lot of my research, um, well, it's going to be kind of all over maybe a little bit, but a lot of backgrounding. I think there's a lot of opportunities for producers up here to, to wean their calves and we're a cow-calf state for the most part and and add some value to those calves before sending them on to the next next phase. And so we're going to be feeding different levels of, of, of treated soybean meal. So not your conventional, but um, we're going to be replacing a, a, a inclusion levels, uh, a one-to-one -one inclusion rate of distiller's grains. And so we're going to increase the amount of soybean meal in the diet. And um, back to kind of where this loops back into with the lysine project is of course soybean meal can be a source of lysine and if we're using a treated soybean meal product there there's hopefully a little bit more room in uh some more rup rumen undergraded protein within that as that's the whole goal of treating that soybean meal and so as the models showing and 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 we'll we're going to follow this study up a uh, feeding trial and digestion trial uh to see how much lysine flow we're actually getting in these diets and um so so uh basically coming back into the realm of maybe the what the literature is driving is we're going to feed at the highest inclusion it's um uh, let me think about the 12% soybean meal, treated soybean meal. And so the model's showing about three grams uh, uh, um, uh, of, uh, of lysine on, on the balance side. So we'll, we'll see if, if, you know, how, what we end up with in that, in that regard. But, um, and there's been some work that's come out, Kansas state. Uh, I want to make sure I'm trying to think if anybody else is showing that when we, when we're providing some of this lysine uh, and they used room and protected lysine in the, during the background phase, but then not, 
you know, not having it in the finishing phase, they're showing some carcass, hot carcass weight uh, differences within those treatments. So we're going to see, uh, hopefully finish these animals out without soybean meal in a finishing diet and see if anything done in the backgrounding phase with soybean meal and lysine as impacting, um, yeah, the carcass quality in that sense. So that's what's next. Interesting. Yeah, we, we, we've done some, uh, not I, I was here, but Dr. Zin has done studies uh, supplementing that on the growing phase, which would, of the cat-fed hosting, which may be similar to a backgrounding phase. Uh, response not, I would say, consistent. Like they're good and there's some variation, but there, I think there is a potential there. Uh, it needs to, like, we need to explore why this variation exists. Uh, but it's it's really, really nice. Good to hear that. Uh, anything else, Brooke? Nope, nothing else for me. Great. So, Zach, it's been really, really nice. Really nice talk. Was was really, really good for, for us, at least, like Brooke said, and I just said, uh, we've done some research in this area, and that's an area that, that interesting, uh, brings some interest into us. So we... We appreciate you coming here and sharing uh, some of your research. We appreciate you participating in our previous uh, episode as well. So thank you very much for for joining us again. Uh, We appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity. So, and enjoy the conversation. Yeah, for, uh, we will leave your email and contact information uh, in the description of the the episode. Uh, You mentioned about your Twitter in our uh, past episode, which is, NDSU cattle, right? Yep. Uh, so you leave all of that information in the description of, of the episode. For those of you who are listening to us and, and want to read uh, the subscription of this episode, please subscribe to our, uh, the transcription of this episode. Please subscribe to our newsletter uh, and and or send an email to us to cattlecallucd at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening listening to us and remember it's always a good time for a cattle call whispers are a jingling a cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call